Go to Genesis chapter 3, or Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Let's go to the Lord and ask Him to meet with us this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank You for Your love, Your grace, Your mercy. Thank You so much for sending Your Son to die on that cross for us. Lord, we do not deserve that mercy and grace. Lord, thank You that You did not stay in the grave, but that You came forth alive forevermore on the third day. Lord, help us now as we study Your Word and try and get an understanding of this familiar truth. In Jesus' name, Amen. You see, Easter, or Resurrection Sunday, implies the need for a Savior. Jesus Christ needed to die. You see, if Genesis chapters 1 through 11 are not true, then there was no need for the the crucifixion. There was no need for the resurrection. The reason that Jesus Christ had to come is found here in the book of Genesis. So I want to talk to you today about three gardens. Three gardens. Let's start here. Genesis chapter 2 and look at verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden... And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight, good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Verse 10. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden. And from thence it was parted and became into four heads. The name of the first is Pison that... It is, that is it which compasseth the whole land of Hivala, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good, and there is uh, dilium and the onyx stone. And the name of the second river is Gihon. The same is it that compasseth the whole land of Ethiopia. The name of the third river is Hittakel. That is it which goeth toward the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. The serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. 
And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. And upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children." And thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Sorrow also shall be uh, thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. What an amazing picture. This is the foundation of why Easter was necessary. It's not just a legend it really happened. And one of the things that I want you to notice, first of all, is what would seem to us to be a very small sin. I told you not to eat it. And they ate it. To us, it would seem, why in the world would God judge the world because of so small a sin? Because any sin is a violation of God's righteousness. There are no small sins. There are just sins. And the penalty for sin is death. And the Bible says, The day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And man did die spiritually. The Bible says, As in Adam all die, so in Christ all live. The Bible says, For as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So the foundation of the reason for the necessity of the cross was this sin all the way back in the garden, in the Garden of Eden. It's just such a sad thing. So before we leave this garden, I want you to notice a couple of things. First of all, it was beautiful. We can't imagine the beauty. Uh, we, I, I love to travel. I've been able to see the Rocky Mountains. I've seen the Alps. I've seen the Atlantic Ocean from this side, and I've seen it from Africa. I've seen the plains of Africa. I, I've been able to see the shores of Ireland and the beautiful rocky cliffs. This world that God made is beautiful. Do you all agree with that? It is unbelievably beautiful. Driving over into Amish country, or as my kids would call it when they were little, Amish world. We told them we were going to Amish country. They thought it was like Disney World or something. We're going to Amish world. But just driving over there and seeing it, it's beautiful. But that's all after the flood. 
as beautiful as it is now, I can't imagine what it looked like here in the garden. And there's something else that we need to understand how big it was. It, it rent, went from Mount Ararat all the way down to Ethiopia and all the way over to the Persian, to, to the, to the Persian Gulf. A thousand miles on each corner like a triangle. Huge. You know what we would call it today? The promised land. That was Eden. That's where it was. The Bible identifies that for us. And now we don't know where the garden was. The swords, have been, the angels have been posted there and they were run out. And the cherubim are posted there to guard the way of the tree of life. But it was beautiful. Secondly, they were able to commune with God there without sin. Can you imagine, how many of you have ever tried to pray and stuff gets in the way? Has that ever happened to you? Imagine what it was like to be walking with the voice of God in the cool of the day. And who's the voice of God? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And we beheld His glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It was Jesus Christ. That voice of God, it was Jesus Christ before He came in the flesh. It was Jesus Christ in His glory, walking with them and communing with them and talking with them. But here comes the serpent. And what is the first thing that the serpent says to Eve? The first recorded words that we have of Satan are in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. Hath God said? The serpent was more subtle than all the beasts of the field. And he comes in and through his subtlety, he begins to deceive Eve. And he said, hey, 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 wouldn't you like to be like God? That one that's walking with you in the cool of the day, wouldn't you like to be as wise and as knowledgeable as him? And she saw that it was pleasant to the eyes. It was, it was beautiful. And she took it and she ate it. Then she gave it to her husband. And from then on, every person that has ever been born has died. Enoch, God made an exception of him. Enoch walked with God and was not for the Lord took him. Isn't that awesome? Elijah, he's an exception. He went up in a chariot of fire in the whirlwind. God took him. Other than that, every person that's been born has died because of the result of the, what happened in the garden, the sin in the garden. Let's look at another garden. Go with me to Luke. Luke chapter 22. Verse 39. We saw much of what happened here in the presentation a moment ago. Luke chapter 22 and verse 39. And he came out and went as he was wont to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. So this was a normal thing for Jesus Christ to do to go to the Mount of Olives, to the, to the forest there. And it wasn't a forest. It would have been a vineyard where they have, have planted olive trees. And he would go there to pray. Then look at what it says, verse 40. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. Now, here's the deal. Jesus knew the temptation that was about to come. They didn't have any idea. Jesus knew. Then... 
Verse 41, And when he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, as far as you could throw a rock, that's how much farther he went, and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. What cup? What cup? Well, the Bible describes it in Jeremiah chapter 24 and in Psalm 75 as the cup of the Lord. And it is the cup of the Lord's wrath. All of the wrath of God was going to be poured out upon Jesus Christ. The wrath for sin. And what we have to understand is, it was the wrath for every sin that has ever been committed or would ever be committed. It wasn't just some nebulous concept of sin. It was individual judgment for individual and multitudinous sins. That's the cup. Then look at what it says. Verse 43, And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. Imagine the God that created the angels needing an angel to sustain him. And being in an agony, he hadn't been to the cross yet, folks. He hadn't been to the cross yet. What was the agony? Look at what it says. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. This is a doctor. Luke, who is writing this, was a doctor, describing the agony that Jesus Christ was in so much that his sweat, his blood, his sweat had blood in it. And when he rose up from the prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping now look at what it says, for sorrow. And said unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. And while he yet spake, behold, a multitude. And he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near unto Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said unto him, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? Now, don't miss this. Jesus Christ is in control of every bit of this. He is in charge don't, don't have this idea of a, of a cowering man afraid of what is about to happen. He had no fear of men. He had no fear of men. What was he agonizing over? He is holy God. He is completely holy, completely righteous, completely sinless. And he was going to bear in his body the sins of the whole world and bear in His person the wrath of God. Maureen sang it in her song a few minutes ago. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, He who knew no sin became sin for us, was made sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. That's what happened on the cross. That's what Jesus Christ began bearing in the garden. Now... Judas comes and he's bringing this group. How many people were there? Between four and six hundred soldiers. Here we probably have 200 people in this room right now. Imagine more than two and a half, three times this number of armed soldiers coming after a teacher. One who had never fought. A teacher. And they come after him and they're going to come in and they're going to rush him and Judas is going to come and do his thing and Jesus jumps up and takes charge. He knows Judas is about to betray him with a kiss. And he says, you're going to come and kiss? You're going to betray? 
The Son of Man with a kiss? That's what you're going to do? All right, go ahead. He's in charge of the whole thing. He actually goes out and meets the soldiers. Now, I've got to tell you, if there's 600 armed men, Roman soldiers who are not known for mercy, if there's 600 of them coming at me, my courage is gone. There's no way that I'm going to step up to them and say, hey, what do you want? You looking at me? That's what Jesus did. He steps out. Who are you looking for? We're looking for one Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am he. And when he said that, all 600 of them fell backward on the ground just at his word. And here's the part that you don't want to miss. Judas who had been with him for three and a half years, who had seen him as the very Son of God in the flesh, Judas got up off the ground, dusted himself off, and came over and kissed him. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And they took Jesus, and Jesus challenges them, and one of the the soldiers slaps Jesus in the face and says, How dare you speak to the high priest so? And they were not allowed to bind him until he was convicted. They weren't allowed to strike him. The job of the judges of Israel who were there, their job was to protect Jesus in that moment. But they violated all of their laws. They were not supposed to arrest him at night. They took him at night. They were not supposed to arrest him without witnesses. There were not witnesses. As soon as they had a false witness, they were to let him go. But they were violating all of their rules, all of their laws. That's what took place in the garden. There's some comparisons. Oh, this Gethsemane, do you know what that means, the word Gethsemane, the garden of Gethsemane? Gethsemane means an olive press, an olive press. And that's where Jesus Christ was squeezed and crushed under the weight of our sin, so much so that he sweat great drops of blood. That's the garden. Here are some comparisons between the garden of Eden and the garden of Gethsemane. First of all, in the garden of Eden, God was there. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, God was there, God the Son. Eden was pleasant and bright. Gethsemane was heavy and dark. Eden, Eve communed with Satan. In Gethsemane, Jesus communed with God the Father. In Eden, Adam fell. In Gethsemane, Jesus stood and bore, took on himself the role of Savior. In Eden, Adam failed his followers. In Gethsemane, Jesus Christ protected his followers. When they came and took Jesus, he said, you have me, leave them alone. That it would be fulfilled, that none of his followers were lost. Jesus Christ in John 17 had prayed for his disciples, said, Father, keep them. And he did keep them. So imagine this, imagine one man unarmed, challenging a cohort of Roman soldiers along with the temple guard, along with the priests. And he says, leave them alone. And what did they do? They left them alone. Who was in charge? Jesus Christ. We have to remember, the death of Jesus Christ was not a tragedy. It was an accomplishment. He describes it as the death that he would accomplish. You know, it's an accomplishment for God to die. Jesus said, no man taketh my life from me. I lay it down willingly. Uh, The Bible says this, ye, by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, have crucified him. You see, God was completely in charge. Jesus Christ 
was completely in charge. In Eden, Adam failed his followers. In Gethsemane, Christ protected his disciples. In Eden, Adam took the fruit from Eve. In Gethsemane, Christ took the cup from his father. In Eden, in Eden, Adam hid. In Gethsemane, Christ confronted. In Eden, Adam and Eve willfully sinned. In, Bethlehem, er, in Gethsemane, Jesus Christ said, Not my will, but thine be done. What a comparison. In Eden, the angels blocked the way to the tree of life. In Gethsemane, an angel came and helped Jesus the way, the truth, and the life. What a comparison. The Garden of Eden and the Garden of Gethsemane. But there's a third garden. Look at John chapter 19. John chapter 19. What I always am amazed at, I, you know, I've been saved since I was a very young man. I've been around church all my life. I'm almost 49 years old. And now for 15 years I have preached Easter messages and studied this story. And every time I study it, I learn something new. Every time I study it, I learn something new. Look at John chapter 19, look at verse 41. Now the place where he was crucified, now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. You have the Garden of Eden, you have the Garden of Gethsemane, and you have the Garden of Golgotha. The garden where Jesus Christ was crucified. What a place. What a horrible, horrible place. Uh, I had the opportunity to go there last year, and tonight I'm going to show pictures and tell the story with pictures tonight. And, you know, we've always been told that He was crucified up on a hill. But the Bible says that people were passing by. As they passed by, they could see Him. They could spit on Him. And the path is down below. So Golgotha is there and he was crucified on the ground right in front of Golgotha. Right in front of the place of the skull. You could see it right where he was. And as he was brought there, there would have been many, many people who were crucified there. Imagine what it would be like to be walking down Wapakoneta Avenue and walking by people beaten to look like a piece of meat, still living, nailed to a cross. That's what it was like in the Roman Empire. That's what happened to Jesus Christ at Golgotha. That is the place of the skull. Let's compare it. When you look, we're not going to go back to Genesis, but when you look at the result of the fall, there were seven consequences to the sin. God told them, first of all, the ground would be cursed. Second, in sorrow, man was to eat of it all the days of his life. Third, thorns and thistles were going to come forth in the ground. Fourth, he was going to have to eat his bread by the sweat of his brow. Fifth, unto dust man was to return. Sixth, the flaming sword barred his way to the tree of life. And then seventh, seventh, man would surely die. Those are the seven results of the fall that God gives us in Genesis chapter 3. What happened in this garden? What happened when Jesus Christ was on the cross? Well, the Bible says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every man that hangeth on a tree. What happened on that tree in the garden at Golgotha? What happened? Well, the first curse was the ground. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ was made a curse for us. Second, in sorrow, man was to eat it all the days of his life. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ was a man of sorrows and acquainted 
with grief. Third, thorns and thistles were going to be brought forth. And Jesus Christ, as having dominion over that, wore a crown of thorns and bore that at the cross. Fourth, He would eat His bread by the sweat of His brow. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus Christ's brow sweat great drops of blood as He paid for our penalty. Fifth, just as the first Adam was returned to the dust, the cry of the prophet in the psalm says, Thou hast brought me into the dust of death. Jesus Christ is fulfilling every bit of it. Sixth, the sword of justice which barred the way to the tree of life. Do you know where it ended up? In the side of Jesus Christ on the cross. That spear? Listen to what the Bible says in Zechariah. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man that is my fellow. That's Zechariah 13, 7. Jesus Christ bore our sin on the cross. Then seventh, Adam died spiritually. And on the cross, Jesus Christ gave us life. He gave us life. You see, in this garden, He took away the consequences of the first garden by bearing the sin, bearing the reproach, bearing the shame. He took it all. I want you to think about this. In the garden, in that first garden, God took the bride from a wound in His side. On the cross, in that third garden, what happened when the spear was thrust in his side, there came out water mingled with blood. What happened there? Jesus Christ gave His blood. He purchased the church with His blood. Adam's bride came from a wound in his side in the church. The bride of Christ came from a wound in his side on the cross. It all speaks of Jesus. It all points to Him. Jesus Christ fulfilled all of it. He bore the sin. He bore the reproach. He bore the shame. The first garden where man fell. The second garden where He agonized and took on Him that cup. And that third garden where He was crucified and bore our sins. Are you ready for this? Something else happened in that garden. Look at John. John 19, look at verse 41. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new sepulcher, wherein was never man yet laid. Look at verse 38. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave and he came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. The, one, one preacher said this, and I don't mean to be flippant, but it's, it's, a, it's a good story. He imagined the conversation between Pilate and Joseph of Arimathea. And he said, I'm going to take him. I have a new sepulcher, a new, a new grave where I would like to lay him. And Pilate said, why would you put him in your new grave? And Arimathea, Joseph said, he only needs it for the weekend. He took him and they laid him. Can you imagine the sorrow? They laid him in that grave, they, in the garden tomb, and they rolled the stone and they sealed it. And the Jews, for fear of his followers, that they would come and take his body because he said he would be rejected, posted a guard giving us the greatest evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
And they posted the guard. And in that garden, do you know what happened? The stone was rolled away. And Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He walked out of that grave, conquering the death of Eden, conquering the sorrow and the cup of Gethsemane, conquering the cross of Golgotha. And that tomb is empty to this day. He is risen. He's our Savior. He paid the debt for us on the cross. But just dying wasn't enough. He rose from the dead proving that He had the power to conquer the death that was our penalty. That's the story of three gardens. Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? What the Easter story is, it's the necessity of a Savior because of our sin. All of us, all, every person under the sound of my voice, including me, we are all sinners, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. That's what the Bible says. All of us are sinners. And the Bible says there's a penalty for that sin. Just as the Bible said all the way back in Genesis, you shall surely die. That's a spiritual death. The Bible says it this way in Revelation 21.8, But the fearful and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and sorcerers and whoremongers and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Do you know that Jesus Christ died on the cross so that you don't have to experience that? So that I don't have to experience that. That's why he died. Can you imagine if somebody paid your mortgage for you and you kept sending the payments in? How many of you think that would be really dumb? Right? We wouldn't do that. It's been paid. Do you know that your sin debt has been paid? But if you don't accept that payment, you're going to have to pay it yourself. That's why Jesus Christ came and died on the cross. The Bible says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, when He rose from the dead, he is, that's called the first fruits of the resurrection. He came forward. He was the first one so that you can be resurrected also. He did that. He, he died on the cross. And He wants to give you that free gift of eternal life. You can't work for a gift. You can't work for it. If you think you can earn your way to heaven, then what you're saying is that Jesus Christ's death on the cross was not enough. His rising from the dead, proving that He was, is, and always will be God. You're saying that's not enough. No. The Bible says all of our works, all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. That's what the Bible says. God doesn't need your good works. He doesn't need your good works. He's full of righteousness. He has all the righteousness in the world. What do you have? Nothing. That's why it's called grace. He's giving you something that you don't deserve. <laughs> It's that free gift of eternal life. And He loves you so much that He died on the cross for you. Let me say this one last thing about it, and I'll be done. Do you know, in John 17, Jesus Christ is praying right before He goes to the garden. He's actually praying this on the way to the garden of Gethsemane. And He prays this. He's praying for His disciples, and He says this, And I pray not for these alone, but also for all of those that will believe on Me through their word. Jesus Christ, on His way to Gethsemane, was praying for you. He was praying for me. Jesus Christ, in His infinite wisdom, 
in his all-knowingness. That's called omniscience. He knows everything. In his knowledge, when he was bearing that cup, he knew every sin that you would ever commit. Jesus Christ did not die for the whole world. He died for every man. He did die for the whole world collectively. But not in some nebulous great idea of sin. He died for each one of us individually. When Jesus Christ was on the cross, He was thinking about Jim Alter. He was paying my penalty. He was paying your penalty. Wouldn't it be awful for you to go to hell when Jesus has paid your price? Just receive the gift. He came into His own, and His own received Him not. But to as many as received Him, to them gave He power to be called the sons of God. (laughs) He wants you to receive Him. How do you receive Him? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's look at this last verse. Go to the book of Romans with me, chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, and look at verse 9. How does a person accept, receive this gift of eternal life that Jesus Christ is offering? Romans chapter 10 and verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness... And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. You see, on that cross, Jesus Christ paid your penalty. He paid it. Remember that that tree in the garden? He said, don't eat of it. But then he said, eat of my body. What was he talking about with that? We're supposed to chew on him? No. No. We were to believe in him. We were to to digest. We were to, to... genuinely believe that He is God, that He lived a sinless life, that He died on that cross, that He rose from the dead so that we can be saved. That's what we have to believe. If you'll believe that and confess that He is the Lord, realizing you cannot save yourself, do you know what will happen? He'll take you to heaven. (laughs) That's it. That's it. He loves you so much, He died on the cross for you. He loves you so much, He made sure that you were here in this room to hear this message. He loves you so much that He gave us His Word. And for 2,000 years, people have been proclaiming the message that I'm preaching today. Jesus Christ came into the world to seek and to save that which was lost. Do you know what Easter implies? The need for a Savior. You see, before you can get saved, you have to be lost. And if you're not saved, you're lost. I hope that you'll trust Christ as your Savior today if you haven't. If you have, don't we have an amazing Word of God? He is risen. Thank you, Lord, for your Word. Father, I pray if there's anyone here...